So uh, today, we want, I wanted to kind of share about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I don't have a manuscript. I figured people have asked me, like, oh, what's your first sermon going to be about? What's your first sermon going to be about? And they're very excited. Um, I'm like, I've been speaking for like eight years, on and off, granted. I mean, first sermon. But I guess I can kind of see where a lot of people are coming from. I've been a little stressed in the past month or so. Um, I knew I was stressed because when I was stressed, I kind of like pushed my hair over to the side. And every time I pushed my hair over to the side, like three or four strands of hair would come out. I'm like, what's going on? And uh, I guess I was a little stressed. Um, it's kind of like I was thinking about all our young guys are getting this haircut called the comb over. But I was thinking to myself, I'm really going to have the real comb over soon. And I don't know if you young guys know, but the comb over is, it's amazing that they don't know. I mean, anyway, but the comb over is when you lose all your hair and then you take what's left on the side and you comb it over <laughs> to cover the ball spot. The fact that you guys are laughing at this means you don't know what the comb over really was. <laughs> But that's the comb over, you guys. So, you know, they have this big bald spot right here. And then they have a little patch here and they will comb it over. That's the comb over. This is what our young people are imitating. It's very curious. Anyway, but I was a college group pastor for about four years. And I, I love seeing trends that come up and die. And some, some trends, it's good that it died. Um, but some are still alive, unfortunately. Like we made this ping pong game into some kind of other game. That's not dying. I was like, please die. It's, it's very unhygienic. But anyway, uh, so I was really thankful, first of all. And I wanted to, before I even start, I just wanted to thank the people in this congregation and this church for supporting me, for praying for me, for being excited for me during this transition. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your prayers and how much I covet them. Um, even as I was walking in the building today and I was, I was going to run up and review my sermon notes. I do have notes. Just because I don't have a manuscript doesn't mean I don't have notes. I was reviewing my notes so I could memorize it. And uh, an elder grabbed me and he didn't say one word. He just didn't say anything. He just grabbed my hand, and then he bowed his head to my hand. And we just stood there for about 10 seconds. And I was thinking awkward. No, I didn't really think that. I was just very thankful for his heart. You know, he didn't have to say anything. But through that 10 seconds of him holding my hand and just bowing down, um, really conveyed his heart to me. But not only him, but uh, so many of you have come up to me and has shared... Um, their excitement for this ministry, their excitement for me, and that they're praying for me. And I'm very thankful. I am very grateful for all of you. And hopefully, as I continue to pray and as we continue to serve God together, this church will make the name of Jesus great. Um, so I thought I might share about Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 first, about how God says to his people I have plans or I have plans to increase your prosperity or welfare or other versions have well-being. Not plans for evil, but plans for good. 
And this is, I believe, what he wants his people to hear. But a lot of times we don't think that way. A lot of times, and myself included, we don't think God has good plans for us. In fact, we sometimes question God's plan for us. Are you sure this is the right way? Because what I am seeing is all these people are trying to manipulate, use political agenda or their own personal agenda to get their way. And it seems like they're winning. And my life is getting stomped under their feet. Or this teacher, if you're a student, this is for adults, right? If you're a student, this teacher or professor does not care about me and is out to get me. I'm not sure if God really has good plans for me. Either God is not good and he just doesn't care. Or God can do something, but he simply doesn't. Therefore, he is not good at all. Um, And I wanted to kind of address that. Because I've gone through it too. I have doubts. I have worries. I have concerns. Ever since I was a child... I didn't know exactly what I'd be doing. All I knew was what I experienced. I grew up a pastor's kid. And if you don't know anything about a pastor's kid, let me tell you, every single pastor's kid is rebellious. And every single pastor's kid will rebel against their parents and God at one point in their life. But maybe you too, right? I think a lot of us can relate to that at some degree. Uh, But I was one of those kids that was not outwardly rebellious. So I always went to school. I got the highest grades. I I sang in the choir. If you know a little bit about my story, I sang in in the Jewish choir. Didn't matter. Whoever had me, I would sing. So you see this like small Korean boy in third grade singing Hanukkah songs going around town. Um, that, That was me. That was me. And, uh. You know, I would, I would do everything that my parents would want. And I remember in fifth grade, I wrote an essay. Because the essay was, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I wrote an essay and I said, I would like to be. And I thought about it. What do I want to be? I have no idea. I'm in fifth grade. <sighs> All right, I'll write something. And I wrote, I want to be a doctor. Because I want to help people. And I wrote this long essay, as elaborate as I could make it in fifth grade. My father was passing by, and he takes a look at what I wrote, and then he picks up the paper, and he read my paper. And then he put it down, and he goes and looks at me and says, Doctor, Doctor, nothing. Pastor number one, right? (laughs) Ever since that day, I have resolved to never be a pastor ever. I resented the pastor thing. I knew what my father went through. And I said, I will not be a pastor. My dad is an incredibly humble man. This month, he's actually retiring uh, from a church he served for over 30 years. um, uh, On the fourth week of August, Uh, he's retiring. And, you know, I knew what he went through. It was a church... In Flushing, and if you don't know Flushing, there's a church in every block, literally every block. We used to have this Korean church directory of the tri-state area. There was New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, 
and then Flushing. Flushing had its own single section because there were so many churches in Flushing. And he had a church in Flushing. Uh, there were less than a dozen people that attended when we first went. And then in a matter of a few years, it went up to 200. And then it grew. Uh, we moved to the center place in Flushing. Um, but I knew what he went through. This man didn't get paid. So who suffered? The family suffered. Oh, well, I thought I suffered at least. Um, he grew up in, uh, the church was in Flushing, but I grew up in Elmhurst. Elmhurst was where all the Korean immigrants came around the 70s. If you immigrated into the United States, if your parents did, they all went to Elmhurst. And then Flushing in the 80s and 90s. But we were living in Elmhurst, church was in Flushing, and they would pay him. I remember looking. As a kid, I even knew how to read numbers. It's very simple. And I saw what they paid him. They were paying him $14,000 a year. And I thought that was really, really little. And then I saw how much he was giving. He was giving $14,000 a year to the church because it was, it was called a building offering. It's called Kanchuk in Korea. And I remember at times I would just be like, I would like certain things in life. Is it too much to ask? You know, I want to wake up, look in the mirror. And one time I opened my mouth and there was like a roach in there. Because our, our apartment was infested with roaches. We just couldn't get rid of them. And I would just have to scrape the roach out of my tongue. It was just like a normal thing. Um, so I was like a little upset. And I was upset that I was upset at the church because they didn't pay my dad what I thought he was worth. You really believe in Jesus. You really think Christ is king. And you really have the shepherd up here. And you're going to pay him that. And then expect 100% of it back. So my mom worked. And she worked uh, long hours, long shifts. Uh, and eventually she got sick. Her kidneys failed. Because, um, you know, she, she, didn't, she, didn't, she had a frail body. Um, so you we are on dialysis and I think some of you know my mom's testimony. Praise God. She got a kidney transplant, uh, last, uh, about four years ago. And, you know, the doctor said, if you take good care, uh, it can last up to 10 years. So we're praying that she continues to take good care of herself. And so I grew up with that kind of heart. Never pastor. Never, never, never. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I want to grow up, and this is what a lot of college students say to me too, so I can relate. I want to grow up and make a lot of money. If I make a lot of money, I can give my parents some comfort. And yet in the midst of all the things that they went through, they would still encourage me to be a pastor, which blew my mind. I didn't understand. As soon as I got my first job out of college, um, I worked at HSBC. They took over Republic National Bank in 40th and 5th. I was working in Buffalo, HSBC headquarters. They said, Eugene, you're going to go down. I was 22 at the time. You're going to go down and redo their whole network infrastructure and set up firewalls there. And I was like, what? Okay. So I became this um, securities consultant, the anti-hacker dude for HSBC. And I went up, I set up the infrastructure. I made the, the, you know, the whole... I designed the whole architecture for it. And this is why we have some HSBC people working in our congregation. And when I would share that, they would always go, oh, no wonder our network is so slow. I said, I'm sorry. 
Sorry you can't go to Facebook quickly enough. But um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they do work. Um, and I made, I made a lot of money. They paid me a lot of money to do that. As soon as I got my first paycheck, 100% of it I gave to the church. As soon as I got my second paycheck, 100% of it I gave to my parents. I sent them on a cruise uh, with all the money that I made. And they had the seven-day cruise. Everything was provided, airfare, all that stuff. And they loved it. In fact, for the next few years, they were asking me, can you send us on, can you send us on a cruise again? I was like, wow, I'm not made of money. Just one time. But, uh, you know, I did for the next few years. <laughs> but even so, they would still come to me and ask, so when are you going to be a pastor? I was like, what, are you kidding me? Don't you like this? That you can relax, finally get away, and enjoy yourself? But they, their, their dream was for me to become a pastor. And I said no. I, I was in the wor- uh, work field for about 10 years if you know my testimony, I went from IT consulting or security consulting to uh, finance and then day trading up until to eventually trading rebates, um, putting up shares in the NASDAQ. And I got to tell you, I wasn't happy. I don't know why. I just didn't feel fulfilled. Um, money was there. But something was missing. Something that I long for all my life. I want to help my family. It's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? You want to help your parents who suffered for you? Who's literally dying for you? I want to help them. I want to give everything that I can to them. And yet I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied. Um, I actually literally broke down in, in around... 2007, I literally broke down. I couldn't do anything anymore. Uh, I decided to go on a trip. I went to Israel. I went to uh, Egypt. I traveled. I came back. Um, Long story short, in 2008, I came to Pilgrim. (laughs) I became a pastor. My grandpa, he died. He passed away in 2007, um, in December. And he was a preacher. He was a fiery preacher. He was the kind of old Korean preacher that would bang on the podium and then raise his voice. And then boom, bang. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, God, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So he was that kind of preacher. And he had prostate cancer, which eventually spread to the rest of his body. And he passed away at 88. But he was a preacher all his life. I remember his final days because I was the one that I was taking him um, every day to chemo. It wasn't every day, but I would meet him every time he had to go to chemo. And afterwards, we'd go to this uh, Korean place to eat. It was like something called kimchi bulgogi. So they make this bulgogi. They put kimchi in it, and then they barbecue it, and it was really good. And, but he loved it. So we, I would eat that every time we went together. And then eventually his health failed to the point where he couldn't get out of bed anymore. But, uh, and he lost, like, all his weight. He was just skin and bones. Um, and I went to him, and he said he had a dream. 
And I was like, what's the dream? So I had a dream that I was preaching again. <laughs> I was like, that's good, Grandpa. That means you'll get better and perhaps you'll preach. Because we all know there's no preaching in heaven. So maybe you'll get better and you'll preach. And then he asked me, are you a pastor yet? And I said, you know what, Grandpa? I am serving in this church called Pilgrim in January. And he was so happy. And then he passed away. I'm going to get some water um, every once in a while. It's actually not water. It's pre-workout, but I thought I needed it. <laughs> Don't tell the elders. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, elders. It's really water. You can check it after. Just don't smell it. Um, and my life afterwards has been, I always see kind of like my grandpa looking over me while I'm preaching. This was his dream. He loved, this was his passion. And he, he wanted to preach to the world about Jesus Christ. That was his dream and his passion. And that has become my passion that's become my dream. My father is a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. And if you don't know, my great-grandfather is a pastor. And so is my great-great-grandfather. When the missionaries first came over to Korea, my great-great-grandfather, um, five generations above me, heard the gospel and he believed and he said, I want to give my life to Christ by becoming a pastor. And unfortunately, he was too old to go get his master's. And so he couldn't become a pastor. Uh, we're all Presbyterian, so you need your master's. Um, but what, what he did was he devoted his firstborn to be a pastor. And so his firstborn became a pastor. And then my great-grandfather, who was the firstborn of my great-great-grandfather, also became a pastor. And then my grandfather, who was the firstborn, also became a pastor. And my father, who was a firstborn, also became a pastor. And there I was in fifth grade writing this essay. And I realized, oh my God, I'm the firstborn. I want to be a doctor, period. <laughs> I was so sad that I would grow up without a choice. We live in a society and we have an environment harbored around us that says, you do you, you make your own choice. And I was furious at the world that I wouldn't get my own choice. I didn't get to choose what I wanted. And so I made these excuses like I wanted to help my parents. I wanted to make a lot of money so that I could help other people. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to get out of what I felt was a trap. I felt as though I wasn't really me, but I was somebody that someone else was forcing me to be. Jeremiah was preaching to his people and all these people were saying something, but God was saying to Jeremiah, they're all wrong. 
You're going to go into exile because of your sin against me, but I will be with you. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. It says, go into the city and make it prosper, multiply, marry, have children, enjoy, work hard. He says that. And then he says in verse 11, For I have plans, declares the Lord, to prosper you, to give you good welfare, to give you well-being. Not plans for evil. But all this time, I thought, every step I took was like exile. I would wonder when I would come home why my life literally sucked. That's what I thought in my head. My life is not as exciting as all these other people because of this, this, this. Because I didn't have enough money. Because I couldn't make my own choices. Because everybody was looking at me to do something, to be something, and I didn't necessarily buy into it. I felt that I was in exile. But don't you see, a lot of us, we feel the same way. I feel like I'm in exile. I don't know what I'm doing. Why can't I be free to make these choices about my life? And then God speaks to Jeremiah and says, I have plans for you to prosper you, to give you well-being. To give you wholeness. And I'm giving you all these different uh, translations because the actual word used in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 isn't prosper. It isn't peace. But the word is shalom. Shalom is frequently translated to peace. But peace doesn't capture the entirety of what the word means. And when God says, I have plans to give you shalom... What he is saying is, I want to make you so that you flourish and is, are complete in every single area in life. So when people greeted each other back then, they said shalom. Shalom meant more than hello, and shalom meant more than peace. It meant, I want everything for you. That's what it means. And that's what God is saying. And God has the power to do it as well. Every single area in life, whether it is economically, whether it is physically, whether it is emotionally, whether it is spiritually, shalom means you would flourish in every single area in these lives. And God wasn't just saying this as a greeting or some kind of hope, but God says, I will do this for you. And this is what he's telling these people who are in exile, out of their comfort zone, out of their homes, out of what they believed they could prosper in, in a foreign country. And I felt that way in my life. I asked God, if you really want me to do what my family and generations have done, you do this for me, God. It's not necessarily biblical. I found out later that God doesn't really do this. But he did. And I can only say it's because of his incredible grace in my life. But I've recently come to know and see that every single one of us, we're precious to him. And he gives us 
an incredible and glorious grace as well. I couldn't sleep 2007 or whatever. I just couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything. Everybody was going to the beach. I just stayed in my room and I read and I prayed and I wept. I was a kind of emotional guy. Not anymore. I'm pretty, uh, okay. But uh, no longer. <clears throat> anyway, I was praying to God. I said, God, if you really want me to do this, let me hear your voice. That's all I want. I want to hear an audible voice of God. He doesn't, but then I've realized later on, it's not biblical. And what I'm asking is ridiculous. God doesn't talk in an audible voice. He, even for Elijah, he came in a whisper. Uh, but I remember one night I was so fraught with anxiety. I was so disturbed in my spirit. I said, God, I just want to hear this. And I remember going to bed and I put my head down. Then I heard my name called out really loud. And, uh, when I heard it, it was so booming, it was so loud that I woke up gasping for air. So I woke up, and I woke up. And then I went back to sleep. I was like, okay, fine. But there was such an incredible peace that came over me. I was able to sleep, and I didn't wake up until the next morning. Um, and ever since then, my life has been, wherever God calls me, whatever you ask me to do, my answer is Yes. And I will never turn around. I'll never say no. But that's the kind of God that we believe in. You see, when Jesus came here onto this earth, he said, my peace I give to you in John chapter 14. It's not the peace that the world can give or understand, but I give you mine. And peace translated in Greek is eirene. Eirene, if you look it up, is, was also used as a greeting, just like shalom. That's what he was saying. He was saying, I give you my shalom. This is what Christ has come on this earth to give us. Our circumstances might be crazy. Whatever is in our family, whatever is going on with our friends, it might be a whirlwind or a tornado of a storm that's going on that seems to be wrecking everything in our lives. And then Jesus is coming to us and saying, I give you my shalom. This is something that the world cannot give. That means in the midst of crazy circumstances, I will give you my shalom. And you will be complete in me. You will flourish in every area in life. And this is a promise that he gives to those that are listening. Are you listening? He wants to give us his shalom. His plans for us isn't to make us fail. And it is not evil. But he wants us to prosper. He wants us to have well-being. He wants us to be complete. And can we say as a church that we will trust in God? I trust you, God. I want your shalom. You see, when we translate 
that verse in the Bible, I have plans for you. The you is plural. He is talking to his people. That's why I can stand here before you today and say, I do not stand alone. I have my fathers before me, my families that believed in Jesus, that have instilled within me their faith. But not only that, I have you, his church. God wants us to put our trust in him. And he wants to give us his shalom. And for that to happen, we need to ask him to enter our hearts today. And saying, God, I want to trust you in every area in life. Economically, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. If there's any area I have not given to you, I want to give it to you. And accept Jesus Christ in your heart today. Let's just take this time to pray. And I would like to invite Reverend Nam and the elders to come up and prepare our communion. But before that, have the Holy Spirit convict you and ask him to convict your heart. Is there an area you need shalom in? Because God wants that for you, and God wants that for us. My shalom I give to you, says the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we gather together as a church, as one family, we ask that you would be with us now. Many of us, we have felt lost. We feel insecure. We feel as though there is no hope for us in the future. But Lord God, we know that you have come down to this earth, your very self, walking the path we walked on so that you could give us your shalom. And God, so we commit our lives to you, every single heart that is being lifted up unto you right now. Embrace and hold in the palm of your mighty hand. Help us to meet you. Help us to commune with you. And in Jesus' name we pray.